DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Today, I have a guest, Teresa Sandy, author, entrepreneur, business coach, and Teresa, I'd love to welcome you to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much, Don. It's awesome to be here. One of the things that we like to do as we just kind of ease into some of the business content and different topics is really to get to know our guests as individuals. And if you wouldn't mind, take some space and talk to us about some things about you, your experience, your family that we wouldn't necessarily know or see on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, um, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a Midwestern born and raised person, although I did live out West for about 16 years. I really kind of traveled the country with my career. So I've had the opportunity to live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Boise, Idaho, Richmond, Virginia, and kind of everything in between. But um, I lived in Milwaukee growing up. And then I always joke that the reason I left the Midwest had nothing to do with the people. It had everything to do with the weather <laughs> when I left. <laughs> And it was hard to come back. You know, it was really hard to come back. But about 12 years ago, I had a great career opportunity that brought me back. You know, I say back to the Midwest, but to Minneapolis. And now I've been here ever since. However, my husband and I do go to California for two months out of the year just to break up the winter because we just can't. I say that's what keeps me in Minneapolis is that we leave. 
That's awesome. <laughs> I I will say um, in my prior life in technology sales, uh, Minneapolis obviously is a big airport hub to the Midwest and different and different things. And uh, there was a blizzard, and I had a you know a couple hour layover. And I'm telling you, the thing that was awesome is it didn't phase that team one bit. Those trucks were out. Those folks were doing it. It was just Tuesday. Yeah. Right? And and they were, were were making it happen. And so thanks for 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 sharing that. And, and as we get started, you've recently wrote a book, and I want to make sure I get the title right, Find Your Fierce, Interrupt Imposter Syndrome, and Your Own Success. Talk to me a little bit about, talk to us a little bit about really the genesis of this thinking and why this book you think matters to the world with all the content that's out there. First, I'll say this book was a labor of love. And people always say, how long did it take you to write a book? And my answer is 12 years. (laughs) Not because it takes 12 years for the average person to write a book, but there was a lot of starts and stops. And so I'll take you kind of all the way back. I was in corporate America. I've always been an HR executive. You know, I spent 25 years, corporate America, really big global organizations, right? I worked for Intel and Capital One and Cargill, United Health Group, so really big global companies. And my job was looking at talent management and succession planning to kind of bring up the next levels of talent into the organization. And I was an internal coach as part of my job. So here I am, you know, I'm working with these up and coming, like the best of the best talent. And I started noticing that as they got right on that cusp, I'll say a vice president, you know, now they're going to be responsible for a really big division or a a really large function within the company. Once we built a rapport, they would confide in me that they worried the shoe was going to drop. Like I was pretty good up until this point, but you know, the dirty little secret is they don't know that I'm not that good and I'm going to get found out. And I thought, well, this is just so interesting to me because you realize you're the best of the best. I mean, you've sort of been tapped on the shoulder. That's why I'm coaching you. That's why we're working together. And I, you know, started doing some research now 12 years ago, right? I do research on this and I'm like, do senior leaders lack confidence, right? I'm I'm Googling all kinds of different ways to kind of get some information for them. And I came across this concept of imposter syndrome. Now, 12 years ago, it was not everywhere that it is today. And we also didn't have social media, right? So people, you had to dig a little bit back then. We did our work back then. And so I found this concept and I thought, oh, this is so interesting because it's really about high achievers and top performers who feel this way. So when I would bring that information to the people I was coaching, I'd get two responses down. I'd get the first one would be the sigh of relief. Oh my gosh. So I'm not the only one. It's not just me. You know, I didn't just make it up. And then the second question was always, what do I do about it? And that's where I would get frustrated because when I started researching, what do you do about imposter syndrome? It was always this advice to like, oh, just don't feel that way. (laughs) Right. And if that would have worked, they would have done it by now. I mean, these are smart, capable, you know, very accomplished people. So obviously that, you know, the fake it till you make it. Oh, don't worry about it. You're amazing. That wasn't enough. So through my research and through talking with all of these amazing leaders, I started gathering information and we would try things. 
you know, like what's the root cause of this? Where does this come from? Does this help when we focus on that? Does that help? That doesn't work, right? And it was a little bit trial and error. And I started just capturing this data because I literally was coaching hundreds of leaders. And I thought, this is great information and people should have it. So I started capturing, capturing, capturing. And, you know, I thought it was maybe a book for a while. And then, you know, you get busy or I would get promoted into a new role and then it would sit on the shelf. Then I'd dust it off a couple of years later. I'd work on it, put it back on the shelf. Then I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just a workshop. So I actually built a workshop around it and people came to the workshop. And then I finally said it was probably in 2019. So right before pandemic, I was like, I'm going to finish this. I've always wanted to. And I set out and reopened the information that I had. And I interviewed about a hundred executives and said, all right, here's how it's looking now all consolidated. Here's the exercises. Here's the advice. Here's the wisdom from all of these leaders. What's your story? And so the book contains individual stories, composite stories, but most importantly, about 40 different exercises that you can try to help as imposter syndrome pops up for you, because it's different for you than it is for me. We experience it differently. One of the things that I really want to seize on is the the thing that you mentioned very early. It's not just me. Anytime we're dealing with something as business leaders, as entrepreneurs, as executives, right? Because we're so used to having the right answer. We're so used to being that strong voice in the room. We're so used to mentoring others that we don't really understand how to process when we're not quite right in an That's area. Right. And and that because it it kind of like we're so conditioned to be afraid of showing any kind of weakness or vulnerability. And so the question that I ask, because I'm I'm tracking with you, share with me some of the mental models and exercise or two that our audience would really get a glimpse into how that research shows up in practice with what you're doing. Absolutely. So the whole book, this might just help kind of boil it down. The whole book is designed around what I call a framework. And I spell it a little differently. It's F-R-A-I-M. The word AIM is in the middle, framework. And AIM is in the middle because it's an acronym. We all love a good acronym. (laughs) And it's also an intention. I'll explain that. The word AIM is an intention to keep looking forward. Because like you said, right, you have one mistake, one trip up, and we're always looking backwards at like what could have been better, what I should have done differently, et cetera. So AIM in the framework is a mental model of we have to look forward to what we want and what we're trying to create for ourselves, for our culture, for our teams, but kind of keep that, you know, yes, learn from the past, but don't dwell in the past. Really, it's a forward intention. But the acronym AIM is how I organize the content in the book. So the flow of learning about imposter syndrome and how you can harness the strength to work through it is the A is for awareness. So what is imposter syndrome? Where does it come from? Why do we experience it? And what does it look like? Because it can be kind of sneaky when it pops up. The I is interruption. So in that moment, when that voice pops up that says, hey, Don, who do you think you are? You know, you're going to walk into this room like you have all the answers, right? And you're, you start kind of going inward and beating yourself up. You have to have some tools and techniques to quiet that voice in the moment. Because if you can't, it will derail you. It will impact the way that you show up. And then the M is momentum. Mm. So think of momentum like the deeper work. This is the long-term work. This is where you're actually evaluating yourself and saying, 
you know, what are my strengths? What are my personal values? What am I good at? Like, what are the objective data points that I have? And it's a foundation building to have deeper self-awareness so that you know when you can be vulnerable, when you can't. It also really taps into how well are you analyzing your environment? Because imposter syndrome is an outcome. It's not a moral failure, like there's something wrong with you or me if I experience it. We are a product of our environment. And if our environment is one that makes us feel like there's scarcity or there isn't room for, you know, many people that look like me or many people that sound like me or many people that had my experience, if it feels like there's just room for one, right? And this is where the whole concept of imposter syndrome and why a lot of my examples are corporate examples because that's where it came from. It doesn't make corporate America bad, but the thing about corporate America is that it is still relatively dominated by white males at the top. It doesn't make them bad either. However, the reality of it is, is that there's not a lot of women. There's not a lot of people of color. So in those moments when imposter syndrome pops up and you go, well, my gosh, I mean, if I, what if I'm not that good? And then what if this is my only shot? That scarcity mentality kicks in and no human being is good or at their best when they feel scarce, right? When they feel scared and afraid of being found out. So I know there's a lot there. I'll stop there. But this kind of all piles together. Let's take a quick break. As a Black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated. A CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order Underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. No, I appreciate you sharing the, the framework, the definitions of, and I will share with you, right, when I became a, a CEO, my first time being a, a business leader of a technology firm, there are very many years that I went through in my selling career in software sales and as a CEO that I never sold to anyone that looked like me mm. for a long, long period of time. And that fear of this may be my only shot, the positive is it drove me, it drove my work, different things. The negative is it created a high octane level of stress that really was, was tough to deal with in addition to the competitive landscape winning the deal, working with the clients, those things. And so personally, I can relate, right, to just some of the, the way that you're framing it. Here's my next question. Yeah. When you were doing the research and, and building the book, what were some of the similarities of the best learners that overcame it? So one thing is that we have it, we understand it, but then there's got to be some things that people did better than others that were able to to get beyond it, or at least make it better. Yeah, absolutely. So self-awareness is a big, big, big part of it. 
because sometimes we think self-awareness is just how good am I at taking feedback from other people? Well, the issue with that is feedback, while it is a gift, is also another person's opinion. It isn't always something that you have to do something about. But what I want to say is people, maybe before I answer your question, people who are more likely to experience imposter syndrome more acutely are those people who have a pretty good sense of self-awareness. And they open the aperture to take a lot of feedback and information in. They're getting a lot of data points and validation from external or extrinsic factors. Whereas people who are a bit more intrinsically driven and, you know, they look at themselves to say, I worked hard, I deserve that, I should belong here, right? They kind of just say, I, I am here. And they're looking internal for their validation. It's not that they don't experience bouts of imposter syndrome, but they snap out of it quicker. Mm. So have you ever heard the saying, any strength overused becomes a liability? Yeah. Okay. So when we've got high levels of self-awareness, we don't keep that in check to say, is you know, is this feedback serving the situation? Is it appropriate for the situation? Is it actually something that helps me achieve the goal? If we don't stop and do that, well, then we take in every single data point, every single piece of feedback. And you know, I know, any listener knows that one person can love something about you and the next person will give you feedback that that's the thing that drives them crazy about you. You know, be uh, more talkative. Don't talk too much. Be assertive, but don't be aggressive, right? I mean, it's like this fine line. Right, right, right. So I talk about feedback from the concept of um, the analogy I use is it's like a coat. So when someone offers you a coat, it's at least worthwhile to say, thank you for the coat. Let me try it on. You try it on and you go, does it fit the situation? If it's 80 degrees in June, probably not going to fit the situation. <laughs> you can't see this because I'm sitting down, but I'm almost six feet tall. If somebody hands me a petite coat, it's going to look ridiculous on me and I'm going to not, it's not going to be useful. So I use it as this analogy of, yes, take the coat. Thank you. Let me try it on. But do the next step, which is critical critically assess if it fits the situation and it serves. If it doesn't, it's okay to donate the coat. It's okay to let it go, put it in the closet, fold it up, give it to somebody else, right? We don't have to carry everything with us. So to answer your question of those people that work through imposter syndrome a bit more successfully, it's people who can take external data points, understand objectively what they mean, and then decide what you take in internally. Because if you take everything in, you're going to drive yourself a little bit nuts. Oh my gosh. I know you know this and believe this. You wrote it and researched. I'm giving a perspective of validation for what you're describing. In some of the leaders that I coach, and I do it three or four leaders at a time. It's not the focus of what I do core, but I enjoy giving back. And, and there are some instances where it's, it's super fun and, and warranted. But one of the things that is super important is advice that I give to someone, and I share this with leaders I work with, is to give you directional thinking on how to solve a problem that you need to tailor to the way that you lead. Oh, I love because that. Because my perspective, my life experience may not be able to be implemented in the way that you show up, right, in your career. So we have to talk in that directional truth. And then you have to work with your coach in the application that aligns for you. Yes. And I think that it's so important to find leaders that you work with that have that 
humility in themselves as a coach to give that mentee or that participant that freedom to put the coat away, your analogy, right? Because you have that imbalance in relationship, right? This is my coach. This is my mentor. They gave me this advice. So therefore I need to go and do it versus they gave me that advice. I need to thoughtfully consider it. But I love the the way that you described it. That's, that's, that's awesome. Well, I, and I, I love the added layer that you, you know, contributed to that because you're right. I'm going to go back to what I said about, it doesn't make corporate America bad. It doesn't make white male leaders bad. Please, I, 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 I hope anyone listening hears that. And, right, there's an and to this, which is, have you ever heard of this concept, reference man? No, I haven't. I'm interested. Okay, so reference man, without belaboring the point, but reference man basically comes from the medical community where they figured out what is the right dosage for medicine? And they used a model, right, a reference man, which is, you know, a certain height, a certain weight, and that became the norm. And then if you were a little bit taller, heavier, you dialed up your dosage. If you were a little bit shorter, thinner, you dialed it down. And it was just kind of like degrees away from the baseline. And I believe that corporate America, like the definition of good, the definition of effective leaders in corporate America is based on sort of a figurative, but also literal reference man. And when we look at a certain type of leader and we say, that's the norm, then to be really honest and vulnerable here, like I'm never going to fit that mold. You don't fit that mold. Anyone that doesn't sort of look and sound and, and act that way doesn't quite fit the mold. That's the blind spot that I think happens in corporate cultures because inevitably these amazing leaders and many of them are were very effective and very successful. So naturally the the feedback is going to be be like me, right? I, I did it. I figured it out. And so what you added, Don, is so important, which is, you know, I can give you this feedback and then I got to give you the room and the freedom to apply it in a way that's authentic to you. I'm not trying to make you like me. That's right. And that's, I think, the blind spot. You know, we talk about, um, have you ever heard this? Uh, if diversity is like being included or invited to the party, then inclusion is being asked to dance. Mm-hmm. And this analogy, right, which I like, but it doesn't go far enough. The reason I don't think inclusion is enough is we have to get to belonging. So if diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance, if we want our cultures to get to full belonging for people, then you don't have to wait for an invitation. Waiting for an invitation implies that someone else is still pulling the strings and, and calling the shots and saying, who gets to sit at the table? Who doesn't? And if we don't figure that out, we will never actually get true belonging. I love this. I, I want to interject and, and keep this yeah, part please. of it going very specifically. I was talking with a leader. He runs a private equity firm and he had listened to some of my podcasts on DEI and, and presentations. And he made that very same statement about inclusion being asked to dance. And he said, well, why do you have to wait for the, the middle-aged white man to ask you to dance, right? And, and he, he said, so I, see, Don, I like what you're saying, but I, I don't like that slap, right? And, <laughs> and I was like, and I smiled and I said, okay. I said, I get it. I yeah. said, now let me share a perspective. Yeah. And he said, okay. I said, you have to educate for the world as it is now. Yes. I said, I hear you. 
that you want those of us in the other group to invite ourselves to the dance. Mm-hmm. But that is not the reality of today's business environment. And who we are trying to move the needle with is those that do have the power, authority, and influence to invite. Yes. So one of the reasons I'm able to serve on multiple boards is someone invited me to the first one. <laughs> Right. And and then I became a productive board member. My name started to get out. My brand started to grow and other opportunities came. But someone had to invite me into the room that I didn't even know existed from a networking standpoint and some of the different things that are going on. So while I very much understood the point that was being made, I want it to be like that also. But the reality is that we have to also educate for the moment we're in while we're chasing the future we want it to be. Um, I love that. I love that so much because, I mean, that's change management 101. Meet people where they are, right? You can can try to drag them through, but you're going to get compliance. You're not going to get commitment. You're going to get people that go, okay, I'll do this as long as someone's watching, but they're not really transformed. They're not really committed. And I think you're right. The way you get commitment is you meet people where you are and we move together. And I get this question all the time when I do workshops and talks about imposter syndrome, people say, well, I feel like I feel imposter syndrome because of my environment. I'm like, that's a fair point. So then they say, why do I need to change? Why do I need to change the way I communicate or change the way I take feedback or change? Shouldn't they all change? And I'm like, Yes, in a perfect world. And that's not the reality we're in. So you can understand something and still need to know how to operate within the environment. And my goal is to say, how do I help you operate within the environment? Yes, start shifting it, but also don't let that environment make you feel less worthy, which is where imposter syndrome sends people off the rails. Oh, I I appreciate that so much. One of the things that has driven me to the work that that my team does, that we do in diversity, equity, inclusion, is I have three daughters. And as I started to think about their careers and their future and being a leader in the workplace, I didn't love what I saw early on in, in terms of those opportunities. And I was fortunate and am fortunate to be able to move the needle in those narratives. But one of the things that I shared is what's your responsibility also in this moment. And so I had to teach my daughters that you shouldn't take the first financial figure on a job offer. Yeah. And if you take that first offer and then in six months you're upset of where you should be, yes, structurally the company should have gender pay equity. There should be things in place. I get it. I believe it. I'm a proponent of, but I'm also a proponent of it is not good business hygiene to take a financial offer that you've not pushed the envelope in a firm but gracious manner. And so I'll give an example of my daughter, Sierra, in particular. And she said, well, dad, how do I do that? I don't like to talk about money. I don't like to, right? We just had a real dialogue. And I said, fantastic. I said, but you can ask questions, right? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, then ask, well, listen, is this the final offer? Is this the starting point for us to discuss things? She's like, I can say that. That sounds, right? That sounds awesome. awesome. And typically, 
HR managers lead with a number, but there's a number that people want to get to. And if that question's answered, nobody wants to lose a candidate. Right. You're going to see a little movement just by opening the door of the dialogue. And so one of the things, whether it is women and gender pay gap, whether it is African-Americans in the workplace, I think there's also room for our personal responsibility in this moment to understand the dynamics of how to do better and be better so yeah. that we can all meet, right, and, and progress. That's so, that's so powerful. And I often say we are teaching people how to treat us every day, mm. every single day in every interaction that we have. And yeah, pick your battles, right? You're not going to, you're not going to pick every single one, but pick your spots because in that example, if you don't set a tone that you're willing to negotiate or ask questions or be curious and know what your worth is, then six months from now, all of a sudden you show up and you want to have that conversation. They're like, whoa, who is this person? Where'd you come from? Right. And it's always easier to set a boundary than it is to reset one. <laughs> so, you know, if you can kind of coach people, I love what you said about what's your responsibility in this equation so that we all move together. Right. That It's so powerful. It's so powerful. One of the things, um, Teresa, and I'm like, time is flying because I'm like, <laughs> really enjoying just I am too. Up with you and, and chatting with you. And so I don't want us to get to the end without giving you space to share something that I might not have asked mm-hmm. or to promote something that you're doing that our audience would enjoy and gain value from. So let me give you that space to share a little bit specifically some things you're doing or want to want to chat about a little bit. Yeah, thank you. I mean, the biggest thing is one of my passion areas is bringing this conversation about imposter syndrome, but really about healthy cultures into the workplace. And so often that takes the shape of, you know, leadership conferences, affinity groups, networks, uh, diversity conferences, things like that, having the opportunity to come and speak and educate not only the people who might be suffering from imposter syndrome to move through it, but if I can help shape the culture a little bit or be on that journey to make an environment that doesn't feed imposter syndrome, I always look for and hope to have invitations to do that because that's my passion area about getting this message in the world. It's not about you need to be fixed. I don't believe people need to be fixed. I think it's about figuring out the right equation so that we can all belong. So so that's the first thing I would say is, you know, I do quite a bit of um, public speaking and conferences and things like that. I offer these things called seeker circles, and it's it's a play off of find your fears. So if you're seeking to find your fears, seeker circles are almost like group coaching kinds of you know pods that work together on the concepts of the book, on some of the exercises, and it is some individual coaching with me, but there's wisdom in the room. It's like what I told you about how this book came to be to begin with. These were powerful, amazingly smart people that had so much to offer around how they fought through imposter syndrome. So there's some group stuff that I do as well. Just from a business perspective, the core of my business is talent consulting. So when I go in and I work with a leadership team, it's often about, you know, there's a pain point. I don't like the way my talent pipeline looks. Don't have enough diversity in my pipeline. Uh, my my next level of leaders aren't quite ready. So it's an exercise in talking about, well, how do we get them ready? And do we really know where you're trying to go? And 
is that a true statement that your diversity pipeline isn't that diverse or it's just not the people you've put on the succession plan? So let's talk about that, right? I named my company Mirror Mirror Strategies because I feel like it's my job and it's an honor to be able to hold up the mirror for people and organizations that are trying to move forward. And sometimes you're too close to it. You don't see it. And that could be the the, the rough spots, right? I don't see my blind spots or whatever. Yeah. And I help with that. But it's also sometimes we don't see the great gifts right in front of us. Maybe we don't see the strength that we have in ourselves. And so I feel like it's my job, you know, and I can be of service if I can hold up the mirror and help people see what I'm seeing. So a little bit about what I'm up to in the world and, you know, what I hope any listeners might tap into me for. Oh, that is fantastic. Last question for me. And thank you so much for that. There's a quote that I want to read out loud um, from you, but then get you to expand upon it as kind of the last word. We're so much more than a title. Yes. Where that comes from for me is, like I said, and it kind of comes full circle to where we started this conversation, which is leaders, when we're growing in our careers and we're, you know, our star is rising, we get really attached. Our identity becomes very attached to our title. We spend so many hours in the workday at work. We spend so much time crafting our life around work. And as a result, I often work with leaders who get 25 and 30 years into their career and they're like, I don't even know who I see when I look in the mirror. I'm not really sure. I am a product of maybe where I worked, right? All the feedback I got, all the things, but I don't know if that's really me. And so it is so important to realize that every person that comes to work, you know, puts their pants on one leg at a time. Some pants are more expensive than others or whatever, but it's like, we're all just humans. We're just showing up and we're just being human. And so the more that we can get back to that and understand that we're all so much more than our title, we're all so much more than, you know, I made it to senior vice president. You only made it to manager. That doesn't make anybody better than the other. So I think the more people can understand that and the earlier they can understand that and just have such a strong sense of who they are and what their values are and what what motivates and drives them, then the title is like the cherry on top. But it's not who we are. It's not our full identity. And I think I, I'd be interested in your perspective. I don't know if if that resonates with you, Don. You know, you had a very successful career. Obviously, you know, you're continuing on. I experienced it when I left corporate America. I had this big title and then all of a sudden, sure, I'm CEO of my company, but at the time it was company of one. <laughs> so really important title, but I kind of went back to being an individual contributor and I struggled with that a little bit. I had to come to terms that I'm so much more than whatever that title was. For me, and thank you so much for that expansion, right, of the of the quote. For me, it's, and I've thought about this a lot, especially lately, especially as I've past the 50 year old mark and different things. And you start, I just start thinking about kind of legacy and what do you want to finish? For me, the thing that's helped me is what am I accomplishing and who am I impacting? And when I have that focus, then you can, whatever title you want to put on me, you, you do it. But if I'm helping build a better workplace for a company, if I'm helping an executive that will then impact thousands of people if they're moving the needle, if I'm helping a college graduate with a math degree that graduated from a code school, but because he doesn't have all of the prerequisite internships, right? 
he needs a little extra support to become that data analyst that he wants to be, right? Those are the things that impact me in that other centered space that the title is certainly helpful in certain areas to be used as a tool, but the impact is is really what, what drives. And so Teresa, thank you so much for sharing space with us. Like literally it's been an instant, but I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you so much. It was it was wonderful to be here.